Father, I pray that you will speak to us through your word today. Help us to be receptive and open to you. And we pray that your word will be a joy to us and a gift to us through the grace of Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I like being comfortable, and I don't like being uncomfortable. I like being right, and I'm not real fond of being wrong. I like knowing I'm right, and I'm not real excited about wondering if I'm right. I like being affirmed, and I don't always like being challenged. But what I'm discovering about my journey with Christ is that the moments when the most amount of growth takes place, the moment when, when God speaks most deeply into my life, is more often than not in the kinds of experiences that I don't like and try to avoid than the opposite. And I suspect that might be true for you as well. It's that very idea that I think is, is behind and underneath this story that we've read from John chapter 9 this morning. This is a story about a man who is born blind and is healed by Jesus. To be born blind, to be blind in general, to have infirmities like that, was interpreted in that day typically as being some, in some form cursed by God. There must be something wrong with you. There must be some kind of sin that you or people close to you have committed that this would happen to you. And to be born blind is almost a double curse. It must really be bad. And Jesus encounters this man and he heals him. As Becca described for us in the story, in her story a few moments ago, the mud on his eyes, and, and he heals this man. And he, and he gives him sight. And as awesome as that is, I think that the reason John includes this incident among all many incidents of Jesus' time on earth that he could have included is not just about the healing, but it's about all the things that are going on around the healing. And I think it is particularly the response of the Pharisees to this man. After he's, he's healed, he comes back, Jesus is gone. All of his friends say, that looks like the guy, but is it? I don't know. This guy can see. He couldn't. He says, oh, it's me. It's me. And they say, well, it's a Sabbath. We better take him to the Pharisees. So they take him to the Pharisees, and they, they grill him and quiz him, and they don't really get anywhere. And so they send him away, and they bring in his parents. They say, look, is that your son? Was he really born blind? They're like, yeah, he was born blind. That's our son. But you know what? If you want to deal with it. You talk to him. We want to stay out of this. They're afraid. The Pharisees have made it clear. Nobody should say anything good about Jesus. And, and so they're, they're worried. And so they're fearful. So they, they back away. So they call the guy back in. And they go through all of this one more time. And you can sense a little bit that, the, that this man who's been healed is getting just a tad impatient. And, and they start asking, they used to ask him, so how did this happen? You know, who is this man? And he's like, he's incredible. It's like, how do you not know who this guy is? You guys are the religious leaders of all of Israel. And a man can, who can heal people must be from God. How do you guys not know him? 
And their response in verse, 30, in verse 34 is, you were born a total sinner, and you're trying to teach us. And I think this is at the heart of the story. The healing is awesome. It's phenomenal. It's great. But I think what John is trying to help us understand is, is that the Pharisees completely miss the healing because they aren't willing to let this man, this ordinary man, be a messenger, a spokesperson, the voice of God into their lives. And when I think about that idea, when I think about that part of the story, and I think about a road sign that sort of symbolizes that, I think about what we have, what we went through here in Houghton, and maybe where you are, same thing. But throughout this last spring and summer, we were basically, if you wanted to go in or out of Houghton, either direction, construction. We had construction everywhere. And it was not uncommon. Many times I was late to where I was going because I forgot, oh, that's right, we have construction. And a significant part of that construction is the person who stands with a little pole and a sign on it that says, slow or, or stop. Officially, the people who hold that sign are called traffic control flaggers. And, and it's their job to control the traffic flow. When you have one lane, you normally have two. They move it down to one. And they have one on that end and one on this end. Sometimes they can see each other. Sometimes they can't. They communicate through walkie-talkies. But they, they, they make the flow of traffic work. And here's what's interesting about that. Is that I, one of my roommates in college, his sister, uh, paid, uh, had a summer job doing just that. Holding a sign like that on road construction. And, you know, she's just a common person, ordinary person. She, has, she had no, no real authority. She, you know, she had no wealth. She had no power. She had no influence. Just a normal, ordinary person like you and me standing there holding a sign, and everyone paid attention to it. And there's something about that that strikes me of what's going on in this story. Here is a man who is a common, ordinary man, and he has a word from God to the religious leaders. The people who have all the power, the people who have wealth, the people who have influence, the people who can tell everybody else what to do. And this man comes to them and in essence says, God says, I want to speak to you through him. And they are unwilling to receive it. Now it shouldn't surprise us that God uses unexpected voices to speak to people. Think about Acts chapter 9, and Paul has an unexpected voice this time from Jesus that he hears on the road, and it changes his life. You get to Acts chapter 10, and Peter hears an unexpected voice. Only this voice that God speaks to Peter is a Gentile. And, and through that story in Acts chapter 10, Peter ends up actually going into the home of a Gentile that he never would have done before, and that experience changes him. And when I read those two stories back to back, you have this sense of how important it is to hear God's voice and the unexpected ways God speaks to us to get started on the journey. But it is every 
important to be open to God's voice as we continue on the journey. And I would, I would wonder sometimes if the continuation of hearing God's voice and a willingness to hear God's voice might be even more important as we're on the journey. Because we have a tendency to shut God out. You see this, you see God, but God does this all throughout history. I mean, he, he calls, who would have expected God to choose a murderer to be the one who leads his people out of slavery? Who would have expected God to use a donkey to speak to a prophet to change his words toward Israel? Who would have expected God to choose shepherds to be the first ones to proclaim that Jesus is born? Who would have expected pagan astrologers to be the ones to wake up Jerusalem to the fact that the king of the Jews has been born? Who would have expected Jesus, the Messiah, to hang out and spend much more time with the outcasts of society than those whom you might expect? Who would have expected that the way of the cross would be the way of life? And yet, this is the way God works. We live in a divided world right now. We've always had divisions. It feels like it's, it's, the chasm is growing wider and wider. And it's, through, it's for a variety of, of reasons. Right now, you know, the, the whole election thing is dividing us. And the pandemic is dividing us. There are all kinds of ways in which we are divided What if God wants to speak into our lives through an unexpected source? Are we willing to hear it? If we are, if we're a Democrat, are we willing to hear it from a Republican? If we're a Republican, are we willing to hear it from a Democrat? If we have, if we, if we have this particular theological leaning, are we willing to hear it from someone who has a very different theological leaning? If, if we have a, a particular class in society, are we willing to hear it from somebody from a different class? Are we open to God? And one of the things that we have a tendency to say, particularly when you think about the, some of the political divisions, is we, our response tends to be, but they're wrong. And if they're wrong, then I don't have to listen to them. And the truth of the matter is, there are many things that they, you, we might be right. Maybe they are wrong about it. But we use our wisdom to discern what's right and what's wrong. And the problem often for us is not that we, we absorb too much from people. The problem is we close ourselves off from God speaking to us through people whom we don't want to hear through. I don't want to hear anything from God through that person. It's impossible to speak into my life through that person or that person or that person or that person. God would never do that, and yet he does. I'm reminded of Nathaniel in John chapter 1. Some of, the, some of the early disciples meet Jesus, and they're astounded. And One of them goes to Nathaniel and says, look, I've, I think I've met the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, great, where's he from? He says, Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's no way that could be true, he's saying. There is no way that God would ever bring someone into this world from Nazareth. I think God is continually challenging us about the openness of our hearts to other people and to his voices through other people 
that we would never expect. John Perkins is, has been one of my heroes for a long time. Ever since in college, I read his book, Let Justice Roll Down. And uh, John Perkins has been a, 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 a leader of, of reconciliation, particularly racial reconciliation in this nation for a long time. And he set up a ministry in, in the South and Mississippi and, and has worked to try to do that. And just recently, I was reading an article about his life that he wrote, and he said that when he first started their ministry, he and his wife and those who were working with them bought, um, bought some, some property in, in one of the worst sections of uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And they fixed it up, and they, and they made a hotel out of this that they call the Samaritan Inn. And, and the intent was for people to come to, to this place, get some good food, to be, have a place to stay when they, when they, ha- they were homeless or they were, their, maybe their car broke down, they were from somewhere else, they just didn't have anywhere else to go, this would be a safe, clean, comfortable place for them to be. And John envisioned that this would primarily be a place where you know, they would help people like him, black people who were poor and who had been treated poorly, had nothing. So he got the place set up, and he said the very first people who came to them for help was a poor white family. They were from some other state, their car had broken down, and they had nowhere else to go. And here they come. And John said, my heart hardened immediately. Because he said, when I was, he said, my, his experience, especially growing up, had been that every, any white person, no matter how poor they might be, felt like they were, he thought they felt like they were better than any black person. And he wrestled in his spirit. And what he wanted to do was just give them a little food and send them away. And his wife said, no, we need to treat them like we treat anybody else. They're needy. And he makes this statement in this article he wrote. He said, here's John Perkins, this man who's supposed to be the leader of a movement of reconciliation, being unwilling to do so until God speaks to him through the most unlikely voices. As I read that article, I got the impression that it it was a turning point in his life. What we tend to want to do is to say, well, they're different. We have different viewpoints. We have different perspectives. We see things differently. So we're just going to separate from each other, and that's how we'll get along. That's what these do with this man. They say, look, they, they just throw him out of the synagogue. They say, we don't want to see you anymore. We don't talk to you anymore. We don't have anything to do with you anymore. We'll just get rid of you. The problem with that is that when we do that, we, in essence, are saying that people who have a different mindset than us are disposable. They're insignificant. They're certainly unnecessary to my life. I find it interesting in this story that the Pharisees are talking with this man, and the man says, I don't know whether he's good or bad, but what I do know is that once I was blind and now I can see. 
And the very next thing, words out of their mouth, words out of their mouth are not, that's awesome. Wow, that's awesome. Now we do have some questions. No, the very next words out of their mouth are simply, in essence, saying, yeah, 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 that's fine, that's fine. What we want to know is, how did he heal you? And what they're really saying is, we don't really care that you're healed. We just want to know if he did it the right way. We don't really care about you. I mean, even disciples do that. When they first encounter this man, their first question is not, Lord, here's a guy that maybe we ought to think about healing. They, want to, they ask a theological question. So, Lord, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? Help us with some theology here. All they can see in this man is that he's just an object. He's just a tool for them to learn some theology. But Jesus sees him and feels deep compassion. I think Jesus is probably disappointed with them. I think what he wants to say is, after all this time we've been together, your first response is a theological question and not a word of compassion for this man. How we treat each other matters. I liked what Becca said earlier in her story about about seeing with the eyes of our hearts. I think that's right. And I think that's what Jesus is asking here. Because our attitude toward each other, whether we agree with each other or disagree, whether we feel like it's, it's, we're us and that's them, in a sense, it doesn't matter. Our attitude is what matters. Are we willing to see each other as valuable and significant children of God? I think one thing that might help us with that is to remember that it's not easy being an unexpected voice for God. It's certainly not easy standing on the road, I can't imagine standing on the road holding an aluminum pole and a vehicle, 4,000 pound vehicles bearing down on you. Or even even worse, a, a huge truck. And you're standing there and your only defense is this aluminum pole and a reflective jacket. I mean, I would think that there are some frightening experiences. It's not easy. And it's not easy. You see throughout history, it's not easy for people to be God's unexpected voices. You think about Nathan coming to David and confronting him. Think about the prophet Elijah confronting uh, Ahab and Jezebel. The prophet Micaiah confronting Jehoshaphat and Ahab about Jeremiah confronting the leaders of Israel, and they end up throwing him in a well. You see this over and over and over again. It's not easy being the unexpected voice for God. And there is something about that that humanizes people that we think are, are, are that, we, that we have disagreements with, in that mindset of us and them, who's in, who's out. One of the problems we have is that we see them like the disciples, just objects. And we need to see them the way Jesus does, as beloved children, the same way he sees us. We need to see him the way he sees us. Because here's where this boils down to. There is something that I think is revealed in the story 
about our willingness to be open to unexpected voices of God, whatever they may, however they may come, whatever they may look like. Our willingness, our openness to all those unexpected voices is a revelation of our openness to God himself. When you get to the end of this story, Jesus is talking to the man now, and he says, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus says, this is why I entered the world. This is why Jesus comes to to help us see. And he's saying to to this man that I, I want you to have eyes for me. I want you to see me. I want you to hear me. And of course, the Pharisees respond and say, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus says, if you realized that you were blind, you'd be in a better position than if you think there's no blindness in you at all. And it makes me wonder if the most dangerous place that we can be as followers of Jesus on the journey is thinking we've got it all figured out. Is believing that we are right and they are wrong and and we're totally right, they're totally wrong. Of believing that we have all the answers, we have figured it out. But the reality is there is no one who who has all of the wisdom of God. None of us have completely figured it out. And the Pharisees think that they have. And it's not just about, about missing, God, missing Jesus healing a blind man and throwing him out and not being willing to listen to him. It's about completely rejecting Jesus. And the way they treat this man who comes to them as a voice from God is a reflection of the openness in their hearts for God himself. See, sometimes I think we think we are the puzzle. And we get our lives together and the puzzle is complete. But the reality is we are just a piece of the puzzle of the kingdom. We need each other. We need each other in our differences And in our sameness. We need each other in seeing things in different ways. And understanding things in different ways. Now it doesn't mean that everything is right. It doesn't mean that everything people say is right. I mean look at this this man as he's talking to them. And and expressing what God Jesus has done for him. He makes a statement that we know God never. God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. And I think that's wrong. I think that might have been the mindset of that day, but I I think God hears the prayers of everyone. It doesn't mean that everything people say to us, everything that people believe and think about is right. And so we need to use wisdom. We need to seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But we won't hear any of it. We'll miss all the right things because we are so concerned about the wrong things. what God is calling us to is to live with such openness to Him that anyone can speak into our lives His truth, His Word, and we receive it. And we give thanks for it. 
I mean, ultimately, I think this comes down, as with most all of Scripture, to our view of God. It's interesting to me how this story in chapter 9, this incident, is, is, is bookended by what goes on in chapter 8 and chapter 10. In chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with some folks, and it ends up, when you get to the end of it, you know, they talk about Abraham as their father, and Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him because they knew what he was saying. He was saying, I am the very presence. I am the I am God in flesh. That I am goes all the way back to Moses in the burning bush when God identified himself. And so we have we have the, the, the essence of the power and the majesty of, of the Almighty God. And then you come to chapter 10, and Jesus talks about the, the sheep and the shepherd. And, and you get there to verse 10, and he says, the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you abundant life. And how do you know that? He says, because I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for you, my sheep. The only reason God wants to speak into our lives in unexpected ways is because it is best for us. Because we need to continually be challenged and sharpened, and we need rough, rough edges knocked off, and we need misunderstandings made right, and we need to live with a spirit of openness and humility to Jesus. Because it's only in that spirit that we will experience joy, genuine joy, on the journey with Him. And that's what He wants for us. And we are so often willing to just settle for where we are and just build a cocoon around us and say, I just want to stay where I am. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to really grow. I just want to stay where I am. But that's not the point of the journey. The point of the journey is to experience the fullness of abundant life in Jesus Christ himself. And instead of thinking us and them, we start thinking about we and letting God speak into our lives any way he wants to so that we can experience the fullness of life and joy in him. When I went to college, I was like probably most college freshmen. I felt like I had a pretty good handle on life. I felt like I had a pretty good handle on what what was right and what was wrong, and really wasn't that interested in anybody telling me any different. And through a series of events, I ended up uh, sort of unexpectedly, very unexpectedly, at, at a Quaker college. And I still remember my freshman year, a history class with uh, Dr. Ralph Beebe. And, and Dr. Beebe was, was a, you know, he was a lifelong Quaker, and, and we talked about history from that perspective, and that was completely different from the perspective that I thought was right. And throughout most of that semester, he and I had these, you know, well, it was probably more me, uh, saying to him, I disagree with that. I don't think that's right. I disagree with that. 
But he was such a man of God, he just kept teaching, and he was patient, and he was kind, and he was loving, and he challenged us. And I can almost still remember the moment when God began to break down the walls of me and to say, look, you need to be far more open to hear me speaking to you through this voice. And the most fascinating thing was when I began to to be open in that context of a history class, it's fascinating how I sense God's Spirit in me more and more about everything of life. Because there was a sense in which my attitude and my perspective in that class was revealing my attitude and my perspective toward God himself. And when the walls began to break down, everything began to change. I have no idea what might be the challenge for you or the source that God may want to use to speak into your life as he speaks into mine. But my prayer for you and for me, for us, is that we will have a desire and a willingness to let God speak to us any way he wants to, through anyone he wants to, and to find in that willingness more and more the Spirit of Christ filling us, changing us, transforming us, setting us free on this journey of joy with Him. Father, thank You so much that You love us. You want more for us. Give us grace to see, to hear, to believe, to trust. And to be open to you, and we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.